Welcome home. This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home podcast. Aspire Design at Home is both seeker and storyteller of the sublime in living. This is your global guide to in-depth and varied views on beauty and shelter that stirs the imagination. It delights and inspires both homeowners and design professionals alike by collaborating with emergent and eminent architects, artisans, designers, developers, and tastemakers. Aspire seeks and shares captivating design experiences that savors the subjects and takes you on a journey through stunning imagery. And now, behind the scenes, with the creators themselves, Aspire Design and Home is an international narrative and a resource for all seeking the sublime. In this episode of Curated Chill, you are going to hear from some of the designers behind the Gallery House of Art and Design in Sag Harbor, New York. This unique experience will bring the pages of Gallery Magazine to life by combining the best of art and design under one roof. The Gallery editorial team handpicked a unique group of talented designers and creatives, as well as some of the world's best galleries for this classic shingle-style estate. In this episode, you are going to hear from Ike Kligerman Barkley, Dwyer Derrick, and Rocky Roshan as they discuss their space, talk about their motivation, inspiration, and what makes this show house so special. Please check the Curated Chill episode listing, where you will also find the full interviews for each of these absolutely amazing creatives. Because this is a podcast, you can't see the work. While this is true, as we explore each room together, check the show notes for links to designer and artist bios, images, and links to galleries, creatives, and product partners for an immersive experience that is truly unique and one you'll only find on Curated Chill. You are also going to hear today from award-winning set decorator Rosemary Brandenburg. Rosemary has spent decades decorating the sets and defining the characters in some of Hollywood's biggest blockbuster films like Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, The Hateful Eight, Transformers, Age of Extinction, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, and Amistad. Coming up first, the team from Ike Kligerman Barkley share the octagonal salon. This where the wild things are inspired space takes you on a journey of self-discovery by crafting a meditative, peaceful place with a highly crafted approach to the work and some twists that will amuse you. How was this project for you? I know that the firm is very collaborative. You know, we've got we've got four designers from your firm who worked on this project. Three of you are here with us today. I would say it evolved, but yes, you know, it turned out the way we wanted to. From from my perspective, it was really fun. It was a we would have these really fun collaborative discussions. That was this really nice break in the day, and you know, it started out. We had this interesting shaped room. The room that we got was an octagonal octagonal room off of the primary bedroom. So um, there were so many spaces in the house to sit. You know, the, the program we also felt was open. So we decided really early on that this was an outside room. And that, you know, that that really like sent our, our imaginations wild. And we every time we talked, it would a new element would be added on. You know, somebody would say, you know, I, I think it's an outside room. And then Tom had been to Cuba and had this amazing image in his mind, uh, this lattice work, you know, so, and then, you know, then it became, well, what's behind the lattice work and, you know, is it a sunset? Is it the, is it the woods? And that's how then we led into where the wild things are. So it was, it was just this, every time we talked, it was this really fun collaborative process. 
I, yeah, I, I, it started off much more conservatively than it ended up. It started off, you know, we were thinking because it was in the Hamptons, what examples of Hamptons of, of architecture in the, in the Hamptons um, is there that we can base this on? And, and one of the things we talked on early on is a house that, that Stanford White had worked on when he was, you know, with McKimmed and White. Uh, it's a house called the Orchards in Southampton, and it has these lattice rooms. And they're very beautiful, but they're, they're pretty conservative. And that's where we started. And then, as Margie said, the more we talked, it sort of began to sort of take in much more disparate elements. And it became this sort of much more of a fantasy than a serious room about, you know, kind of a porch. It was a, it was a fantasy version of a porch rather than a literal version of a lattice porch that you might find in, in, um, in the Hamptons. I am so glad that you said that because it's, it's fun for me to have these conversations because I get to see, I don't, I haven't, you know, Margie was asking me if I'd been to the house and I, I haven't been there yet. And I like it that way because I get one image and then I get you to tell me the story about the space. Mia, who, for whom was this space designed? Who is the, who is the imaginary dweller of this space? It's, it's not a living space. And that's what I love about this. Um, and I'll get into more on the, on the specifics of it in a second. But who, was the, who is this for? For whom it was it designed? Well, I mean, obviously, we had to consider the client who would, you know, who, who, who is actually the owner of the house. But other than that, we were actually thinking about Max from the where the wild things are. And it's, it's, it's kind of like space that you might be able to see him <laughs> in a glimpse or in, in shadow. And it was this sort of collaboration of um, like what, you know, Tom and Margie said, we just had this like wild running of ideas and like all of a sudden, like, you know, we are thinking about the books and all of us really love the book. And, and like we had like a very sophisticated wallpaper scenery to hand painted kind of like a rustic and more crafty looking canvas um, mural. And, and then like we were like, oh, should we just add colors and should we add other like elements? What else can we add? And we ended up not using it, but we actually had um, this sort of like frames of dog <laughs> that was in like briefly appeared in the book. But at the end, we kind of decided not to add because it was getting too literal. But it was sort of like this room that people could take a break from, like when you walk through the show house, every room, you know, like everyone trying to like present what they want the room to be. And it's sort of like in design world is typical. Us, we are like sort of architects and interior designers together. And we often start from this concept, like how the space should be. And it was actually really, really interesting um, opportunity to do this like sort of fantasy room that you could kind of take a break from real life, but it's still like very usable and it's, you know, enjoyable to be in. You know, I, so, I think, oh, I'm sorry, Mia. No, no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I, I guess um, I'm going to turn off my inner, my email so it doesn't make all that noise. I'm sorry. I, I would say also that, that it's a room. It's an, it's a room for an adult. 
you know, we really thought about a place where um, you might go spend some time um, uh, in a sort of indoor-outdoor room. But it's also room for the child and all of us. It's, you know, it's based on a children's book. And I think once we did that, it kind of unmoored us from having to be too serious. So there's one piece of furniture in it. And if you sit on it, you can't have a conversation with someone else because they're facing away from you. And there's a tree that's too big. And there's lights that are, one light looks like the sun, another light looks, lights look like plants. So, and then when you, you know, it's a serious trellis, yet it's sort of framing a mural from a child's book, Where the Wild Things Are. It was literally painted by a company that's been authorized by the Maurice Sendak uh, foundation to do these kinds of things. So just like, it, you know, it was Max's bedroom. It's it, The idea was it was Max's bedroom before it was a, really a forest and after it was really a bedroom. So it was in between. So I think it's in between fantasy and reality, in between childhood and grownups, um, a serious room and a fun room. And um, I think that's what sort of took us away. So, and I have been told that designers have used it to meditate, like when they, they take a little break and sit there and meditate in that room. So, it's a good use for I, it. I just heard a podcast yesterday about how important it is if you, to be in the woods. And if you can't be in the woods, go sit under a tree. And we brought the tree, we brought the tree in <laughs> you, until you it did. died. We had to get another tree. The first tree didn't make it, Josh. I'm sorry for your tree. <laughs> it is sad. Especially after after having listened to what you what you just said, your room makes me happy because I when I when I look at new spaces in a design house, there's a couple of expectations. You expect aspirational, right? Because that's almost one of the natural expectations from a design house or a show house is you say, okay, it's got to be aspirational. It's it's got to be something unique. It's got to be something different. It's got to be something that people would want. And when the picture, when the image popped up, and by the way, I get that this is a podcast and you can't see anything that we're talking about, but what I'd like to encourage you to do is if you're listening to this, go to the show notes and you can click on the images uh, for Gallery Magazine and you will see the pictures and you can go look at the octagonal salon. When I first clicked on the image, I just sort of sat back. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Then I, then I stopped. I'm, I'm looking into my computer and I'm looking at everything. And I was, I was looking at the, at the mural and I was looking at this intricate woodwork and I'm looking at the benches and I'm looking at the biophilia and the, and the tree in the center of it. And it, was, it, it took me, it took me a couple of minutes to realize that there are sconces on the wall, that that wasn't actually living part of the tree. And it's that, it's that discovery that I, I think makes show houses so special. So from that standpoint, I kind of wanted to back up a minute and ask you about the creative process and the ideating, because I, I'm trying to imagine you get a room and it's, you say, okay, it's not completely functional. It's not a square. It's not rectangular. It's going to be a very big challenge to try to come up with something that makes this as special as we want to be as we want it to be. Uh, 
Where do you start? And how does the team ideate something like this? And I, you know what, I will, you're all, it's so funny, we're all doing the Brady Bunch where everyone's looking at each other. So um, <laughs> Mia, I'm going to start with you. I, I think it was pretty obvious that we wanted this room to be um, sort of like indoor, outdoor, like a garden room. And I think the shape of the room and height of the room played the big part was to make the decision pretty easily because it was not a big room and like to, to make it kind of functional, like we couldn't really think of anything else other than a garden room because you can really fit only very small, like, like, or like one or two pieces of furniture, if it's anything. And so it, we focused more on architecture, uh, architecture side of the room. And, and because, and also it actually had this like really interesting round windows above like it was like on the high um on on top and we end up sort of like mirroring these three windows by adding like you know three more so each wall has uh these like round windows on top and and i think that the room shape kind of dictated that so it was pretty easy decision for us to um start with that idea that was the team from ike kligerman barkley talking about the octagonal salon next up Dwyer Derrick, whose passion for interior design is influenced by her travels and a practical approach to curated living. Derrick crafted not one, but four individual spaces, a hallway, pantry, laundry, and powder room. And as you'll hear, this provides her an opportunity to explore and craft in a multitude of ways. This is Dwyer Derrick. So I've always thought that there is a magic to the edit in a small space. And I'm, and I'm curious too, because you also have to take into account the, the color palette of those in the adjoining rooms and what they're using. And when you're doing the spaces like you're doing, you're also doing many of the transitional spaces, which means you're not just connecting to one other creative, but in some cases, maybe even three. So I'm interested in, did you have any of those situations? And if you did, um, were there any challenges overcoming that or, or what was your thought process? Not, you know, it's really funny. Usually in show houses, you see, at least out here in the Hamptons, I mean, it's pretty, you know, they really go all out, these designers. I mean, they really can go crazy with lots of tiles and paint colors. And, you know, I mean, they really, it can get a little overwhelming when you can walk into some rooms and see, you know, and, and it's not really how you would live you know, so I'm more um, practical in my thinking and the way that I live and the way that I want things to, to look and to function. Um, so strangely enough, in the kitchen was was beautiful and, and really, really nicely done. Um, and when you got into our pantry, that was, you know, it's a minimal space, obviously, but, you know, so just decorative wise, I mean, I sort of put in the prettier things that I wanted to show off. Um, but oddly it kind of um, the pantry, the, the woman that Katie lead who had the mud room, which is next door to, to my powder room that I had at the end of the hall um, on that side of the house, the mud room coming in, her space worked really, really well with ours. Um, we were laughing about how our end of the house, it all did kind of go well. It was browns and greens and the blue and um, sisal. And it just sort of, 
it all blended well. And so you didn't feel like you would want to change anything, you know, say after, because sometimes people do, they want to eliminate some of the things or change a paint color or something. But I had the feeling, or we all kind of agreed that it would probably all stay and um, it all worked, you know, really, really well together. I mean, it was, it was pretty warm and inviting, nothing shocking. It was nice, you know, pleasant to the eye. Um, yeah. I mean, I was really pleased. And, and I would say that pretty much about the entire show house. I mean, it really, it all worked well together. You didn't feel like you were kept walking into new, a new home, every, every room, which you can in some, you know, some places, it, everybody's kind of worked well. It was fun to see. So is there anything that you would have done differently? No, you know what? I really felt, I really felt comfortable with what I did do. Um, no, I, I really liked the way that it turned out. I mean, I, yeah, I felt, I felt confident in what I, and it was really my first time, you know, like I said, doing that, you know, outside of my own home. So um, no, I felt good about it. I felt proud about it. I think a lot of people really liked it. You know, it was pretty, it turned out, it, I think it turned out well. Very cool. And so modified last question, you had mentioned a framed Hermes towel and an Hermes scarf. And I'm curious what the, what the, is it just something that you love? Is that, is that something that you just felt belong there? I, you know, I do. I, I, I mean, I love Hermes who doesn't, but um, I love the colors usually, you know, for the, for the scarves and, and um, the towels are always fun and great. And I have a friend that's done that. And he did it for a house, um, one of our other homes that we have. And um, it does, it adds a lot of punch, a lot of color. And like I said, it's sort of low cost, high effect. And it's fun. People like it. It's kind of unexpected. Um, you know, it just, they're just so pretty and colorful and they just sort of bring a lot of joy. You know, people walk in like, oh, you know, that's fun. They, they really kind of like it. So I like it. And I had a really beautiful um, Hunt Sloanum, which are the artists that we like. I had uh, one in my powder room a beautiful um, painting of parrots and um, the wallpaper that I chose sort of was sort of African. I know it was, it was interesting paper anyway, it just kind of lent itself to, to more sort of animal print type stuff. So I did the giraffes and, and the birds. That's so fun. hang on one second. So Hunt Sloanum, by the way, one of my favorites, I've had the opportunity to interview him and have a conversation and he's just such an interesting guy. Uh, I'm interested. So did you say you, you have a Hunt Sloanum piece at home that you use to, for inspiration? Yes, we have, we have a couple of his, mm. we, we love his, well, I just, I love the textures, the way that he paints. And we were lucky enough to go to his, his studio, his gallery and see. In New Orleans? No, in New York. We in New York. Okay. Yeah, okay. Before I think he moved to Brooklyn, um, we went in and we saw all the birds and, and um, uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh, wait. Oh, God. Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Something happened to my um, <laughs> the, my phone rang. Um, anyway, we um, got a chance to go to his studio and see see, you know, where, where he does his, his uh, painting. And it was really fun to see a lot of those uh, canvases all ready to go. And yeah. then he walks in and he just, you know, addresses each one. I mean, it was really, it was pretty cool. Um, and we did, we picked out, we picked out a Lincoln. He did a really cool Lincoln that my husband loved. And um, I got a, a rabbit, a bunny and, um, and the birds. The bunnies are amazing. Yeah. And 
You know what's interesting about his work, which for me, it sounds like it might be the same for you. His work, he just makes me happy. Very. The yeah. work just makes me happy. It is. He, he had a big coffee table book and he signed it over to us and, you know, did the ears on it. And, and that was fun. And, and um, he is, he's such a nice man. And he was, he was nice. He came out one summer and we did a book signing for him. And um, he's, he's lovely. Yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, maybe we'll be able to acquire another one at some point, but. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So that was the inspiration behind, behind the Hermes, which I think is yeah. really, really cool. I just thought that it would go well together. You know, I really, I really did. And even with the green in the hallway, um, we hung a couple of our paintings and I just like the way, you know, his color, he's just, I mean, I've got, if you could see on the other side of this computer, but two here on the wall that are great. That was Dwyer Derrick. Programming note, if you enjoy these segments from our designers and creatives, please refer back to the show notes from this episode for links to the episodes with the full conversations where you will learn more about each room in the Gallery Showhouse of Art and Design from Sag Harbor, New York. You will also find links to product partners so you can shop the showhouse room by room. Next up, designer and the Paint Lab founder, Rocky Roshan, with an open and honest space that is calm, emotional, inviting, and a view directly into Rocky's heart. This is Rocky Roshan. Oh, well, this is what's really interesting. Um, this whole, you know, after I agreed, agreed to the show house, I was tortured. All of a sudden I started going, okay, it's gotta be the best. Okay, what am I gonna do? It's gotta, gotta be something, no, no one's ever seen this before. Oh, 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 oh. And I'm going nuts over this. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this kept me from coming up with a concept. I'm a real concept person. But my concepts are derived from the people I work for. And we've talked a lot about this in the past. The way I, the way I come up with the concept is I get into imaging with the client. I start pulling it apart. I talk about the imagery and I get under their skin. And I didn't have anybody to get under the skin. <laughs> so I was paralyzed. And, and the reward for me in design is when my client goes into their room or their home and goes, oh, I love this. I mean, like that, I live for that. You know, that's really probably screwed up, but that's a big motivator for me. So here I'm sitting in limbo with no person to make happy. And so I'm late with every one of my deadlines, <laughs> stewing and stewing and stewing. Where am I going to come up with an idea? And then finally, I kind of went, um, it's about art and design and fusing the two. And I'm a big art collector. I've collected art. I painted when I was younger. I painted up until I, I still paint occasionally but I have a real passion for art. And I looked around, I have got just a ton of art. And I went, Rocky, just do the room for this collector. I started getting, I start, I'd met a woman that lives in the Chelsea, lived there for years. And her husband was, did all the screen print, most of the, a lot of the screen printing for Andy Warhol. So she was, and he was, a, he was, um, he was, he owned the limelight, you know, a lot of the New York clubs. And so he was really um, an important person in the, you know, 80s and into the 90s and the whole New York scene. And I've always been really enamored by the Chelsea and very enamored by, um, you know, I loved Robert Maplethorpe and Patti Smith and I'd seen images of their apartments. And I, what I always loved about it was this whole artistic kind of expression. And even in the Soho, you'll see, you know, apartments that are very bohemian and really overdone, but then there's some that are really spare and they're so confident like in their spareness. And so that started triggering me. And then I went, you know, and then because I'm from the Northwest, the Northwest has a really rich history, you know, in art, you know, uh, 
um, Mark Toby was one of the first, if not the first person um, acquired by the Louvre in Paris in the 50s, first American artist. So there was, there was, they, they were very instrumental in the whole movement, especially in the abstract expressionist movement that ended up actually carrying over into the Hamptons, you know, with Jackson Pollock and all this. So all that stuff was kind of triggering in with me subconsciously. And then I finally went, okay, just do the room for you. Do this room as you, um, which is the second worst, you know, <laughs> that's the second worst deal <laughs> because doing a room for yourself is also not the best, you know, it's not the most ideal situation, but that's what I ended up doing. And, but I also wanted to really keep in mind innovation, spareness, and a lack of pretension. You know what I mean? Like understating it. So when I got here and I had all my stuff shipped out, I started putting the, my artwork up and putting things in position and making, hoping that nothing was you know, ruined in shipment. And I started putting stuff up and I hated the room. I went, oh God, I don't, this is not working. This is not working. So, and I'm totally freaking out because here I'm in the Hamptons and every, all my resources are back in, on the West Coast. Anyway, so that night I go back to my little Airbnb and I go to sleep and I have a dream. Well, one of my dear, dear friends years ago who worked for me was a really talented designer. And we just, we, we always clicked on every synapse when it came to design. He comes to me in my dream. And it's one of these dreams where I am like, I'm in a coffee shop in Sag Harbor in the morning. I'm looking down and really freaked out about what I'm going to do. And I look up and he's, he's like two feet away from my face and he's smiling at me. And I'm going, what the mm, 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 are you doing here? And he goes, I'm here to help you out. You are so stressed out. And this is one of those dreams that I felt like I could touch him. And this particular case, I felt like I could also smell him. <laughs> um, and he said to me, you're overworking it. And, you know, cause I kept going, it's gotta do the best. It's gotta do the best. It's gotta do this. I woke up the next morning, went to the room. Well, actually I didn't go to the room. I immediately went to a store or got a different coverlet, did this, did that. I had a clear vision of what it was and everything was about pulling back, pulling back. No, this does not have to be the best room in the world. It does. I don't have to make some kind of monumental statement. I have to really, I have to express what the idea behind the room is and make sure it's clear. And it came together, you know, at that point. What is the narrative behind the room? The narrative behind the room, well, the, you know, the PR, my PR ladies are, actually came up with the label. I think it's called the curator's room. I think that's the name of it, or the collector's, or collector's room, something to that effect. I should know it. I don't. It's something like that. <laughs> that's the PR spin. I want to know what the creator's <laughs> vision is. My creator's vision was to do a room um, that had the soul of a collector, that had the soul of a, not just a collector, but a collector who's also an artist, a person who likes art because it takes risk. It, it makes it makes statements. I mean, there are some risky pieces in it. In fact, the PR, my PR ladies are going, I don't think you should put that up. I have a triptych that's a vertical of a nude woman with, you know, drawn clothes over her. And I've been in that room a lot. And I'm going to tell you something. Women love that piece. They navigate to it. They love it. And so it was kind of a, you know, I had to kind of take a leap of faith of what, you know, these, these are the pieces I bought for specific reasons. And artwork to me has got to, it's got to move me on some emotional level. It's not art to me unless it does that. I don't care if it's repulsion, attraction, or whatever. You, you made some choices in this space that are, first of all, very anti-show house. And I yeah. love that. 
and you made some some other choices that are that are very um, you know not not typical design choices. You know, to to mount a piece under a window is unconventional, mm-hmm. right? But what it winds up doing is it adds to the verticality of the room, and mm-hmm. because you you have columns of pieces um, and you, in your groupings, it works. And so I think it's really, yeah, no, it's really interesting because one of the things that I I love to look at when I look at show houses and design rooms is the realization that this was not made for everybody. This This is an artistic representation. This is the chance. This is the opportunity for a creative, for a designer to do something that is, you know, they're not handcuffed by a client telling them that they want their room to look like this Pinterest room or that Instagram room, or, you know, that they actually get to do something that is really, really different. And you use that opportunity and you made some choices and I absolutely love it. And I sort of wanted to go around a little bit too, you know, the, when you're doing a bedroom, it's really interesting to me because sometimes I have seen, you know, it's not, a, it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. Sometimes designers will take the bed and decide, okay, well, it's a bed. So the bed has to, it's a bedroom, the bed has to be there. So I'm gonna just or make it overly ornate. I'm gonna decorate the heck out of it. And then I'm gonna soften everything else. You kind of went in the opposite direction where it's like, it's a bedroom, but the bed is not the focal point. It's the work, it's the art, it's the workspace. And by the way, I wanna to get to the color in a minute because the color is the paint lab and that is your pride and joy and your, your, your heart and soul. But you also have furniture pieces in here. The chair and the desk are both yours, correct? Yeah, they're from the collection body parts. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that collection and how and why you chose that for this space. Well, I did it just to promote the furniture, to be really candid. I mean, it's in the launching stages and I want to be able to promote it, right? And I, you know, my frame chair, which is in the in the room, is one of my all-time favorite pieces. Um, it's um, it's a um, reproduction, a digital reproduction of a, of a I think, 15th, 16th century um, piece, a Botticelli etching. Um, so that's also about art, but it's also, to me, art is, gets redefined when we start having digital imaging and stuff and it's printed on canvas. And so there were things about that that I thought were appropriate to what the, the kind of heart and soul of the room was. And then the, the other furniture, there's a day bed that's in the room that's part of the collection of body parts. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I wanted people to see that and I could get into the concept of body parts, but that's too lengthy. I'm sure right now it's a very unusual concept where it's like tinker, to- uh, tinker toys, uh, where you take certain pieces and then you start reassembling them in different ways and you can, you, you can do this whole, you know, well, it's, it's interesting because what I know about you and your design approach, that's kind of how you, approach this space, I I feel like. And it's also, you know, in some of our conversations sort of with the paint lab, how you view color. What's interesting too is, and it's almost frustrating, isn't it? That someone who views this this room, either like me, they're gonna see it online, which doesn't really tell the whole story because 
your approach to color and you can talk, you can speak to it is, you know, light coming from this way is a different emotional feel than light coming from that way. And both of which you have to deal with because it's a room, it's a home, you have windows on two, three or four sides, and you're going to have to address, you know, the, the lighting and how it emotionally, you know, how it makes someone feel when they're in the space, which is really special. When you saw this space, how did you approach it from a color standpoint? And why did you choose the colors that you chose? And finally, um, I also noticed that through your accessorizing, you found a way to incorporate the paint lab paint cans <laughs> into, the, into the space, which I think is genius and I think is brilliant, especially considering for whom you designed this room. Yeah, because I kept in mind that I was basically the client and that, you know, a creative, a creative is a creative and they do whatever they, they, they think and live creatively. And the, the invention of my paint business and the evolution of it comes from my creativity. That is the same. That holds true of my line of furniture and it holds true with my design business. There you have three very different design personalities crafting unique spaces unto themselves, yet all fit seamlessly into one well-curated show house. In just a moment, you are going to hear from one of the most talented set decorators of our time. That's a bold claim, but when you have credits like Spider-Man, Star Wars, and Amistad, along with other titles that starred Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Johnny Depp, Jennifer Jason Lee, Jennifer Garner. Okay, you get my point. But the list does go on. Rosemary Brandenburg is an award-winning set decorator with a gift for crafting spaces for characters written on a page. Her talents have created the environments from some of your favorite characters, and those spaces are what you see when you close your eyes and think of these moments in movie history. It's challenging work, and Rosemary shares her work with us right after this. You're listening to Curated Chill. We'll be back in just a minute. I am constantly in awe by the resources available to the design trade. One of the best and most iconic, the A&D building in New York. If you are in the business, you already know the A&D building is New York's best resource for kitchens, baths, and fine furnishings. Featuring the city's largest selection of kitchen, bath, appliances, cabinetry, tile flooring, carpeting, shading technology, lighting, and contract furniture. Where luxury design defies expectations. How do they do that? By housing a collection of the world's most elite design brands in 40 showrooms. Explore and be inspired. The A&D building is where the world's best designers go, and they're open to the public. World-class creatives know where to get world-class design products. Find your bliss and the showrooms that can show you how to get it at New York's crown jewel of design, the A&D building. For additional information, find them online, adbuilding.com, and in the real world at 150 East 58th Street, New York City. Thanks for listening. Now back to Curated Chill. Rosemary and I talked about the differences between set decorators and interior designers. She also shares her thoughts on the roles and responsibilities as it relates to the look and the feel of the final television and movie projects on which she works. Well, it's a title, um, and we do a lot of design work, but it's a collaborative design, and we work within a framework within um, where we work with a lot of different designers. So it's a village. It's fast. I mean, you, you don't have the luxury of sort of 
dashing off a drawing and then waiting 16 weeks to have it done like some of the other uh, activities in the interior design world or or even architectural design of any kind it's it's a fast paced operation so there's slices of the pie that have grown up over you know with some differences regionally but generally set decorators take care of a slice of it because it would be overwhelming for any department to be in charge of the whole thing because it's very ambitious what we do um and um it's uh you know people come up with different definitions of it but you know in a nutshell we're responsible for the things that surround the action the actors the furnishings but then we do tons of stuff outside i mean we can do laundry lists or we try to come up with definitions all day long half the time we piss people off when we make definitions because we encroach on what other people consider their job but it's uh, it's not easy to define every creative i have ever spoken with they have their own unique origin story the how they got into the business here's rosemary's i mean it's, you know since girlhood creating you know so many people have the story of oh they didn't we didn't want the commercially available dollhouses we want to make our own and we wanted to make the tables out of rocks and you know cut up scraps from mom's sewing box to make everything and you know the, I, I used to, i mean i had to have a candle lit dinner in one and i almost burnt the house down so you know every i but i've heard this story from lots of set decorators this is how we roll and i'm sure many other people in the design world you just you take what you have and suddenly you realize oh my god that's my thing but i was also the sarah bernhardt of the family you know and in, in another world maybe i would have become an actress I, I tried that but it scared me to death i was just didn't have the confidence to put myself on the stage but interpreting character is in, is the, it's so fun and it's the best part it's part of it it's a big part of it um starting with story and character um starting with um there's arcs of history that goes into a lot of the projects i do where you have to really understand what's gone on before when i do franchise films so you have a giant vast history to learn you know and, and then you have to bring your own interpretation to that um you can do um you know, there's definitely arcs of history when you do period work, you know. So the people are, the, the characters are partially influenced by the era that they come from and partially influenced by the writer's point of view because even period stories are really stories of today. I mean, you know, Cleopatra, the film, you know, her eye makeup and fabulous look had nothing to do with what they really wore in Egypt. Obviously, it's through the lens of now. So there's a lot of that stuff going on, too. I remember on uh, Amistad, I was because I'm a historian's daughter, I was roundly warned um, not to be so literal about what was true in history and just simplify things a little bit, you know, that kind of stuff. So you have to be, you know, you're dealing with character and you're dealing with story and you're dealing with history and you're dealing with style. There's so many different layers that go into it. It's not one thing, but starting with character and story is a very, very, very good place to start. And it's my favorite place to start. And when I'm dealing with all the technical stuff, like how the heck am I gonna get this thing built? Um, I love to take that break every day and just go, can I have a character 10 minutes, please? And just think about what's really going on in this tale. Because there's a lot of logistics too, so there's it's multifaceted. Isn't it equally scary being 
in front of the camera as a performer and having her work serve as the canvas in front of which the entire story develops and unfolds on screen. Oh, definitely. But somehow hiding behind the curtain of a set was just more comfortable for me. Um, and especially as a young person, I just grew up very shy. I, you know, I continue to struggle with confidence, but it's just, um, you know, my makeup. But it's a lot better. I certainly am no uh, shrinking violet in meetings and, um, um, you know, manage to put forth a fairly good <laughs> presentational image now, but in the beginning I was shy. Don't many of the major struggles share certain characteristics? There are similarities between Amistad and Star Wars. No, really. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing uh, about, especially because both of them had a lot to do with Steven Spielberg. So, um, you know, that is his genre. He loves to tell stories about the triumph of positivity and optimism, and that's those are that those are the stories, and the triumph over evil. You know, I mean, slavery and um, is just like the first order. So um, you know, or at least not just like it, but there are absolute similarities. So um, those stories, telling those tales, but then you you know, diving into the characters. Um, uh, and all that is, is great. But, you know, I mean, they're all kind of fabricated environments. I mean, you can't walk into a town and shoot when you're doing Amistad because it doesn't look like 1840. So, um, you know, you're constantly coming up with solutions and suggestions and how are we going to bring the audience into this world and how are we going to make a surround for these characters that make sense and how do we interpret the story in this place we were shooting in some amazing places and on Amistad like back east we shot a lot back east and did um you know like things like uh uh historic towns in Rhode Island and um uh kind of Connecticut and a lot of them New England um did some took took some wonderful period locations but they still weren't right either for the story or they needed to be altered um so that was great and then when you do a star wars guess what you got to completely recreate create an art then you don't even have a town you can start with you have to make the town first and then you have to put all the layers on into it so it's just the whole i love projects where you have to start from absolute scratch it was funny recently i did a a domestic comedy in LA, um, which I don't actually do those that often. And it was kind of like, oh, I have to go get regular furniture <laughs> and interpret. It was called Yes Day. It was a charming story with uh, Jennifer Garner. And, um, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, I, have, I almost forgot how to do that. <laughs> it was funny, but it, we did a great job. And it was really fun actually interpreting those characters with regular stuff. So it was, but again, we had to build a house completely from scratch. So, you know, that's kind of how we do it. How are the roles similar between interior design and set decoration? What, what are some of the challenges with regard to specification and securing product? Well, the design of the house obviously is done by the, uh, the between the production designer, there are directors and the set designers. They, they take care of the architecture side of it. Um, and probably so that the, the comp- to the point of usually they design cabinetry and things like that. Whereas uh, I, from what my, my understanding, I've never been in interior design, but 
from what I understand, usually um, a designer, uh, an interior designer would manage that kind of thing. But again, it's all about slicing up the pie so that, um, and certainly when I work in the US, I don't do that part. I don't build the cabinetry. Um, I, I'm, believe me, I'm looking over the shoulder of the set designer as it's being built and making suggestions and saying, um, where are we going to put the microwave exactly? You know, and, and just making sure that it works because from a character point of view. So I do my best to influence kindly that process. And, um, and, and it's a back and forth, just like, because it becomes immediately a collaboration. So that's the other difference between an interior designer and a set decorator is we we're, you know, we're in the middle of a triangle trying to get all this move forward. And and the other difference from what I understand is speed it has to happen really quick. So um, we, um, so uh, the, the regular house, did we use prop houses? Well, sort of, but then it was, first of all, going to be used for a long period of time. So prop houses became less um, cost-effective because of course you're paying by the week. And second of all, they uh, decided to have a lot of destruction in the house. So there was a very funny, you know, comic bit at the end where um, I hope you see it, but, you know, mayhem ensues. So that precluded and it involved fluids. So uh, therefore, <laughs> it wasn't very advisable to rent things or lease things. So, yeah, we ended up running around. I mean, a lot of times we needed to go to retail. Um, it was just we just had to have available things um, and some things we couldn't find and and built, you know, and there's also budget restrictions on a lot of these projects. Some of the things that are available in design showrooms are beyond our financial means. So we need to run around and find economical stuff that looks great, but maybe isn't as expensive. Um, it depends. I mean, and also we don't have time for 16 week leads and things like that. There's just no way. So we end up um, cobbling it together. I mean, it's like, oh, I, I, you know, and we hire people that we call buyers who help us run around and find things because there's, um, you know, you're sort of at the hub of the, of the, of the project. I'm doing a lot of meetings and a lot of planning and learning how they want to shoot it. And I can't be in two places at once. I can't do that and be out in, a, in the different showrooms. Again, generally retail, sometimes, sometimes the beautiful design showrooms. I love it when I get to go there but it doesn't always happen. So that's how you do a regular movie. Um, can I, do I love our prop houses? Yes, but when I'm doing a project on location in a different city or a different country, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, you don't have time to ship things always from the LA prop houses. There's a few, there's prop houses in New York, there's prop houses where I am currently speaking from, which is, which is Atlanta. And we love these businesses and we support them as best we can. And we, uh, are, when we're desperate, they are invaluable when somebody makes a change. But we, yeah, we go to antique malls. We go, when I did Hateful Eight, which you mentioned, we were in Colorado. And I hired a couple of people to do the, a whole circuit of Colorado uh, antiques resources, which was very productive. Um, there were some great places out there and they would shoot pictures and put them in a whatever, I can't remember, whether we'd drop box or something like that. And then we'd sort them out and figure out what was great and then do another tour and get it, gather it all up and buy it and bring it in. And, you know, again, that's, that was fantastic. But so it just depends where we are, how much time we have, how much money we have. And you have to get, you know, all those levels have to be balanced and then uh, you put it together however you can. The sets are used in fantastic 
realistic and sometimes unrealistic ways. There's an art to creating a set, even if it gets blown up. No, really, blown up. Uh, there is the very real chance that might happen. And perhaps Rosemary isn't even expecting it. Uh, yeah, that's it's part of the fun. I mean, you know, it's there to be used. It's not there to be a, you know, an icon of design. I mean, they're films. Uh, it's a little bit of a different story. I mean, do we love doing absolutely beautiful ones that are in a magazine? Sure. But, um, you know, you take the picture before they blow it up and they don't really blow it up. You have, you know, um, you know, the, to some extent there's squibs and things that have to go in the sofa, but that means you have to have two of them, or maybe you have to have three of them standing by, or you have panels that explode. I mean, it's, that's part of the fun is figuring all that out and working with the stunts and uh, effects teams. I mean, they're, you know, you can get mad at them for blowing your stuff up, but I used to actually get mad at them for blowing my stuff up only because there's a saying in special effects, which is it's better to ask forgiveness than permission, which <laughs> used to drive me insane until I finally just accepted it. So, uh, you know, they don't always tell you in advance what they're going to put the, the squib in and make big holes in. The issue is when you, you know, have rented precious things from individual people. So I learned a long time ago this lesson that with when I work with collectors and renting things and there is any kind of action in the set, I say, okay, do not rent this to me if this is such a precious object from your family heritage that you will be so hurt if we only give you money instead of the thing back. Yes, we of course pay for them if something happens. So that's that's been very important. Um, things happen. This is Curated Chill, the Aspire Design and Home Podcast. This episode featured designers from the Gallery House of Art and Design in Sag Harbor, New York. Special thanks to our guests Dwyer Derek, Rocky Roshan from the Paint Lab, and Margie Lavender, Mia Jung, Thomas Kligerman. And while she couldn't join us, she was there in spirit, Elizabeth Sesser from Ike Kligerman Barkley. Thank you, Rosemary Brandenburg, and all of the Gallery and Aspire Design and Home contributors and staff who pulled this amazing show house together. Thank you to our partners and curated chill sponsors. Most importantly, thank you for taking the time to enjoy Aspire Design and Home and Gallery. Thank you for listening to the show and loving Sublime Design the way we do. Until next time, come back to chill.